Hello everyone and welcome to Classic Gaming Today, where we take a look at the gaming experiences of the past through the eyes of the present. I am your host Tony, and today we are going to look at Neo Turf Masters, the golf arcade game developed by Nasca in 1996 and released for the Neo Geo Arcade and Home Consoles, as well as the Neo Geo CD. Now, there were several re-releases and ports that would follow over the years across a variety of platforms, but its initial release was on the Neo Geo. As always, before we get to the game, we do have a little bit of housekeeping. So first off, this is episode number five. I remain excited about this podcast. I'm having a ton of fun. I hope you all are having a ton of fun as well, because I really do want to build a community around the podcast and with like-minded gamers around retro, classic kind of titles and just talking about games because it's kind of fun. If you do want to talk about games, I do have an email address that you can contact me on. That is classicgamingtoday at gmail.com. I also have a Twitter account at ClassicGamingT, so feel free to shoot me a note over there if you want to provide feedback or just talk games or have suggestions for future episodes. I am definitely interested in hearing what you think. For those of you who may be new, I'll just go really quickly over what the anatomy of an episode is. Though every single episode of this podcast will follow a similar for- format. Well, probably. There might be some deviations here or there, but for the most part, we follow a similar format. First, we will talk history. We'll talk about the historical context of the game in question, what its place was in history, how it was created, and all of that good stuff. And then we will move into a pseudo-review. I call it a pseudo-review because it's not like we're going to assign a point value, but we do talk about the normal kinds of things that reviews would cover, such as graphics, sound and music, narrative and or story, if the game has one, playability and controls, and as overall feel. How does it feel to actually play the game? With that out of the way, we finally reach a verdict for the game we're discussing, and we assign each game to one of several categories. At the very top, if a game is just that darn awesome, it remained awesome over history and throughout history, it becomes a member of the pantheon of classic games. That means it doesn't matter how old the game is, you should still play it today. Games that may have aged just a little less gracefully become a golden oldie. These are games that, if you have nostalgia for it or you enjoy the genre, you should absolutely play it. And generally speaking, I would recommend any game that falls into the golden oldie category. These are good games. They're just not quite as good as those that are in the Pantheon. Moving down the list, we have our mediocre mentions. These are games that I can't really recommend. You might still have a good time. I'm not going to stop you from playing it. I can't really control you, but I just wouldn't really say go out of your way to play it. If you're interested or you just want to have an interesting experience or you want to experience the game, go for it. It's just not something that I can highly recommend. And then finally, at the very bottom of the list, these are the footnotes, the games that should be left to the footnotes of history. I've played them, so you don't have to. I do not recommend you play these games today. You probably will not have a great time. These games are ones that have aged really poorly or may have just been not that great games to begin with. Of course, if you do want to experience them, please go right ahead. But generally speaking, I cannot recommend any of those titles. 
With that bit of housekeeping out of the way, we are going to get started talking about the game of the day, which is Neo Turf Masters, a golf arcade game, like we said, developed by Nasca in 1996. And this was a Neo Geo game. So this is our first Neo Geo game that we're covering. And this is really going to be a two-part story. Part one, or part of the story, is going to be focused on the Neo Geo, because I think it's just an absolutely fascinating system and arcade environment. And then the second half of the story is really going to talk about golf and golf video games, because once again, it's kind of interesting how this all plays together and coalesces into this single game, Neo Turf Masters. To begin with, we are going to start with the Neo Geo. And before we can talk about Neo Geo specifically, we have to talk about arcade game hardware in general and how arcade games work. Now, for anybody listening to this podcast, my assumption is you're probably, probably tend to be a little bit older. You may have had experiences with arcades across your lifetime. Even today, there are arcades that are out there. Now, arcades today are a lot different than the arcades of yesteryear. So just to make sure we're talking about the same thing and on a level playing field. When I say arcades, I'm talking about the arcades that were prevalent in the 80s into early to mid 90s. And most of those arcade games that were released around that time were built with very dedicated hardware specific to the games that were running. Now, each arcade game, some of them were very, very specific, meaning that they had hardware that was specific to the game that was in the cabinet. There were other so-called arcade systems that basically had a standard kind of hardware configuration, and the only thing that differed was the actual ROM or read-only memory that the game was stored on. You could almost think of it like a console system where the base console doesn't change, but the game that you can insert into the console changes. Arcade games were similar, albeit most arcade games did not have removable ROM chips, meaning when you got a motherboard for an arcade machine, the game was the game. It's not like you were going to be swapping games in and out. It was basically whatever the game was. If you had to replace it, you had to literally replace the motherboard. Like I said, some of them had similar architectures, but you really weren't upgrading these things for the most part, other than doing total conversions of the innards of an arcade machine. A, a prime example here is Capcom fighting games. And Capcom fighting games were all based on, on a given set of hardware. And I'm talking specifically within a single generation of fighting games. These are games like Street Fighter or Street, I'm sorry, Street Fighter or Marvel versus Capcom, those kind of games. Any game that was released in a given generation often used the same underlying system, but those individual games were still tied directly into the hardware that was present in the specific machine. Now, the Neo Geo changed that. Neo Geo was released in 1990 by the SNK Corporation, and it implemented a brand new idea that a man by the name of Takashi Nishiyama, who was one of the creators of the original Street Fighter game, had conceptualized. He came up with the idea of a cartridge-based arcade machine. Now, this is a revolutionary concept. I can't stress enough how revolutionary this concept is because, like we were just talking about, most of the time you have an arcade machine. The hardware is specific to the arcade machine. If you need to upgrade it or you need to change the game, you have to rip out all of the innards of the machine, replace it with new hardware. The Neo Geo didn't have that same restriction because it was based on cartridges. 
So it was almost as though the cartridge concept of the Atari or the Nintendo Entertainment System was being brought into arcades, which meant if an arcade owner or an arcade uh, distributor wanted to change the game in the arcade machine, you didn't have to rip out all of the motherboard and all of the hardware inside the machine. All you had to do was simply swap a cartridge. Now, that doesn't mean that the graphics on the arcade cabinet would necessarily change. And oftentimes, Neo Geo arcade cabinets were a little bit more generic. There were some that were normal artwork kind of thing for the game inside it. But a lot of times, the arcade machines themselves had generic artwork because the games inside could be switched just by removing one cartridge and installing a different one. Beyond that, the Neo Geo was designed in such a way that you could have multiple Neo Geo cartridges in a single arcade cabinet. And this was called the multi-video system or MVS. Each of those MVS systems could have up to six cartridges at one time in the arcade machine. That basically meant that you could almost have a revolving carousel of games where you could have up to six games in a single arcade cabinet that the player could choose which one they wanted to play. This was, once again, a revolutionary concept. Like we had said, cartridge-based systems themselves were not new. The Nintendo Entertainment System, the Super NES, Sega Master System, the Genesis, Atari consoles, they all were cartridge-based systems. But those cartridges that were in the home had a relatively small capacity for space. And at the time, CD technology wasn't really a pervasive thing yet. We were getting there, but CDs were not yet spread across the technology landscape like they would be in the coming years. Now, the other thing to keep in mind here, beyond the space for the cartridges, arcades and home consoles at the time were very much not equivalent. If you had a home console, you had some awesome gaming experiences available to you. But if you wanted to play the absolute best graphics, the best sound, the best games out there, you had to go to an arcade. It wasn't like you were having high-definition visuals at home or anything like that. At home, you would have maybe an 8-bit, maybe a 16-bit system that was able to display X number of sprites on the screen at one time. In the arcade... Because arcade machines had this dedicated hardware that was very specific to design or delivering these awesome gaming experiences, you had larger-than-life games that were only available in the arcade that home consoles just couldn't match. There was a trade-off there, and a lot of times arcade games would be ported to home consoles, but most of the time there was some sort of trade-off when those ports happened. Either the graphics had to be reduced or levels had to be cut, or music had to be changed, and oftentimes all three, if not more, of the concessions had to happen in order for these games to be playable at home. Think about the release of Mortal Kombat. And if you ever look at Mortal Kombat the arcade machine versus Mortal Kombat on the Super Nintendo or the Sega Genesis, you'll see very quickly that the arcade machine just was at a level of quality that home consoles could not match. So the Neo Geo, being an arcade-based system, didn't really have any sort of market pressures to reduce cost like home consoles would. Home consoles had to be had to be obtainable by the general population. And that's why most consoles hovered around the hundred plus to two hundred dollar range at the time. And that was something that was fairly affordable 
for most or at least a good portion of home users. Neo Geo was an arcade system, so they didn't care about cost because arcade owners would spend tons of money to get these arcade machines in the door because ultimately that would bring people into their arcades. The individuals playing the arcades would pump the machines full of quarters and the arcade owners would profit. So what that meant was there were no trade-offs needed. Neo Geo was an arcade, so they didn't really need to trade anything off, and that applied to the cartridge technology that they used. A general cartridge for a Neo Geo arcade machine often held up to around 90 megabytes of information. To put that into perspective, the largest Super Nintendo cartridge that I was able to find had around 6 megabytes of information. So you're talking about approximately a 15 times larger space on the Neo Geo cartridges that were used in the arcade systems in comparison to typical home consoles at the time. Massive difference, and that really allowed the Neo Geo-based games to have much better quality graphics, much better quality audio than what home consoles could do. And that basically meant that Neo Geo was delivering a true arcade experience. Now, I did mention just a little bit ago, you couldn't get the arcade experience at home back then because no home console could possibly play those arcade, those high-quality, highly graphical, audio-based arcade games, except the Neo Geo became the first home console that could deliver an arcade experience at home. And that came about because of the advent of the Advanced Entertainment System, or AES, in 1991. What that basically meant, the way Neo Geo had constructed, or the way SNK had constructed the Neo Geo ecosystem... You had Neo Geo arcade machines that accepted cartridges. You then had Neo Geo hardware, home console hardware, that could play effectively the same exact arcade experience at home. There were no compromises. The cartridges that you got, albeit not truly compatible between the MVS and AES systems, but the cartridges you got were the same exact arcade experience that you might be playing in the arcade. You could now play that at home without any compromise. Amazing and absolutely crazy revolutionary concept to be able to bring the arcade experience in the home back in the early 90s. Unheard of amongst the video game market at the time. Now, the home cartridges would not come out exactly the same time as the arcade would. There was a little bit of exclusivity with the arcade-based releases, very similar to what you see with movies in the movie theaters, where a movie may be ready to go, they'll release it out into the cinema, and then movies won't actually come home, either via streaming or via Blu-ray or whatever other digital media that you enjoy, doesn't release until sometime after the official movie theater release. Neo Geo had the same kind of setup where arcade versions of the games would release and then around six months later, the home cartridges would release so that you'd be able to play them in your home on your Neo Geo AES. There was one cool bonus, though, in that the Neo Geo ecosystem allowed memory cards to be used both in the arcades and in home systems, which meant that if you were playing a game, you could play the game in the arcade You could save your progress onto the memory cards and then continue playing at home or vice versa. If you were playing a game at home, you could bring that memory card into the arcade and continue 
to play and continue to to grow, grow in experience or continue the storyline, whatever the case might be for the game that you were playing. This basically meant that you always had the opportunity to keep playing the game you were playing. It was it was an awesome concept. And as you can imagine, the Neo Geo was the most powerful console of the time. It also had a price to match. When the system came out, when the home console came out in the early 90s, it cost $650. And each individual game, each individual cartridge cost $200 a piece to purchase. Think about that. $200 for a single game in order to enjoy the arcade experience at home. This was a significant investment in comparison to other consoles. But you had that true arcade experience at home. You were getting what you were paying for. You were paying for the opportunity to have that arcade experience in the home. And developers worked incredibly hard to deliver games for the Neo Geo Arcade and, by extension, the Neo Geo home market. Neo Geo was not the first arcade system. We talked about that. There were tons of developers making games for a bunch of different arcade systems in the years preceding the Neo Geo release. One of those developers was a company called Irem, which was most notable for the beat-em-up arcade game Kung Fu Master back in 1984, which, incidentally, was also designed by Takashi Nishiyama, who was the creator of Street Fighter and the man behind the whole Neo Geo cartridge-based arcade system concept. The other game that Iron was primarily known for at the time was the shoot-em-up R-Type, which was released in 1987. Irem as a company would continue to make games throughout the early 90s across a variety of different genres, and they even dipped their toes in the sports game genre with the release of the golf game Major Title in 1990 and its sequel, Major Title 2, in 1992. The interesting thing about those titles is that they were relatively fast-paced for a golf game, and they really tried to marry the fun and gameplay of the arcade experience with the precision that's often required by golf. And now that we mentioned golf, it's time to look at part two of the story, which is all around golf games. Now, I'm not sure if everybody has a firm understanding of golf. We'll talk a little bit about the rules a little bit later. But the game of golf, even in real life, is often looked at as a game that isn't just a pick-up-and-play kind of thing. It's not as simple as picking up a basketball and trying to throw it into a hoop. And I'm not saying that basketball is easy, but conceptually, all you have to do in basketball, pick up the ball, shoot it in the hoop. In golf, it's a bunch, or it's a lot more complex. It's a lot more complex to understand the mechanics of golf in order to actually play semi-well. Most of the time, in order to get really proficient at golf, you need to take lessons. It requires a ton of hand-eye coordination to hit the ball without slicing it off into the woods. And it's just a, a kind of a, an off, it's a difficult game to get a grasp on. Real golf, I'm not talking about like miniature golf and things like that, but true golf where you carry your clubs around, it is difficult. It is not an easy game. Converting golf into a video game format was often focused on driving that realistic kind of experience, at least as far or as realistic as a given gaming platform could achieve at the time. I mean, we weren't talking photorealism at this point. We were talking still fairly rudimentary graphics in comparison to what would come later. 
But the goal was to recreate the realism of golf in the home. And one of the better known golf series, and this was on computers, this was on the MS-DOS platform uh, primarily, was by Access Software, who's the company behind the Tex Murphy series, if we have any adventure game lovers out there like I am. But Access Software developed a golf game or golf gaming series called Lynx, all of which had an extreme focus on realism. Now, they even digitized real golfers into the game so that you would feel like you were seeing real golfers play the game. They had a bunch of courses that they had in each of their releases. They implemented a lot of complex control schemes. They modeled physics for wind and the course gradients and hills and putting that would have to be aimed appropriately so that you'd be able to curve the ball into the hole. They really tried to simulate the difficulty, coordination, and also the general tranquility and peace of golf. When you go golfing, when somebody goes golfing, a lot of times they're doing that and it becomes almost a zen-like experience. The courses are usually, at least the nicer courses, are usually beautiful. It is quiet. It's serene. You're hanging out all day either by yourself or with a couple of friends and you're just having a great day with the sun out and it's just a calm, relaxing experience. And most golf games of the time tried to recreate that experience, particularly Access Software's Lynx games where they really tried to simulate the whole experience of playing golf. Now, even into the early 90s, Lynx originally came out in the 80s and as a series continued into the 90s. Most golf games were designed to be realistic versus simplistic, meaning that almost the same kind of concept behind real golf, where it's not really a pick up and play kind of experience, that was perpetuated into the golf games of the time. There were no simple golf games for the most part. They were all designed to be realistic, which meant that you had complex controls and you really had to learn the game in order to get good at the game. For the people that enjoyed golf, this was awesome. And they would release tons of course expansion packs that individuals could purchase frequently. I mean, it was a big market. People bought a ton of these expansion packs and a ton of these games to be able to recreate or to live the experience or at least simulate the experience of playing on these world famous courses. So golf fans, golf aficionados absolutely ate it up for a good portion of the population. However, golf wasn't an exciting sport. It was something that if you saw it on TV, you would change the channel because it would put you to sleep. Now, I'll say I enjoy the game of golf, both playing it and watching it, but there's a lot of people that don't. I know individuals that wouldn't be caught dead watching golf on TV. They just don't have that, that desire to watch it or they don't feel that it's something that's that's worthwhile use of their time. Um, golf games, because they were trying to mimic and recreate that same experience, had the same kind of situation where not all gamers really wanted to play a golf game like this. This was well before the more fast-paced, stylized golf games would start coming out and would be a little bit more broadly focused from a market perspective. Think about games like Hot Shots Golf or Mario Golf. Those games didn't exist back then. We were still talking purely about the realistic simulation-based golf experience. Regardless, though, of the existing focus in the golf video game genre, Irem's two golf games, that's Major Title and Major Title 2, tried to change the perception of golf having to be a slow-paced niche game 
they had a focus on much faster gameplay that would be at home in an arcade environment where a quarter could buy you a few holes worth of play and even more if you were good at the game. Now, IREM itself, the company, appeared to have a very bright future in game development. They were releasing a bunch of games. They were all pretty well received, um, but their release schedule slowed down fairly dramatically as the 90s started to progress. And a number of developers that were part of IREM at the time became disappointed with the lack of releases. And that small group of developers decided to break away from the company and form their own studio, which would be known as Nazca Corporation. And that was around 1994. Nazca had to decide where to focus their efforts. So they knew they wanted to do something because they were upset that IREM wasn't really releasing games at the same pace that they used to. Nazca knew they wanted to do something They knew they wanted to make a splash in the gaming market. So they looked across the environment and they settled on the Neo Geo as their development platform of choice. And then they needed to decide what their first games were going to be. Now, having originated from IREM, the developers decided to look back at games that they thought that that company had done well, and they wanted to evolve those games for the Neo Geo, which meant they wanted to release titles that would be well beyond any of the titles that were previously developed. So with that goal in place, Nazca went off and they started to develop two titles for the Neo Geo arcade system, both of which would go on to have great success. The first title, or one of the titles, was Metal Slug, which would evolve into an incredibly successful side-scrolling run-and-gun series. It had a ton of sequels. It is almost universally beloved At least the earlier titles, I'm not sure if every single title in the Metal Gear, I'm sorry, Metal Slug universe had the same degree of acclaim, but certainly the earlier ones had a lot of love amongst both the critical and the gaming community. And then the second game that Nazca would focus on would be Neo Turf Masters, which ended up being the spiritual successor to IREM's prior golf games, Major Title 1 and Major Title 2. Leveraging the power of Neo Geo. Nazca created a golf game that was unlike anything that had been seen before. The team decided to forego ultra-realistic graphics. They weren't going for that ultra-realism look like Axis Software was going for Lynx or Microsoft was going with the MS Golf games. Instead, Nazca wanted to focus on a more stylistic graphical style, albeit they still wanted to simulate the game of golf. So they created and they added a full suite of physics that would accurately simulate all of those intricacies of golf, albeit in a much more fast-paced kind of format. They also decided to streamline the overall controls. Rather than have a multiple-click interface where you had to worry about where you clicked it and it would determine if you had slice or fade or draw or anything like that, and you had to be super accurate, they streamlined the controls down to a two-click interface. One click would set the power of the swing, and the other click would set the loft of the hit. Concepts like draw and fade, which would curve the ball either left or right, would be set prior to the swing by setting up your stance. So this was a simplified approach to golf. It basically took all of the complexity of a lot of those home golf games And it simplified it dramatically, which is what ultimately led to a much more mass appeal for the game and made it something that could actually be played in the arcade using quarters as opposed to having to learn the game of golf or learn the game of golf simulation in order to just be able to be somewhat successful at playing the game. 
If the player was skilled, and this is something I found really interesting as, as you play through the game. If you were a skilled player, you could play the entire game on a single quarter. And the reason for that is because of the way scoring was implemented in the game. Basically, just to give a little bit of overview about golf, the way golf scoring works, it's all based on a concept called par. So if you get par on a given hole, that means you got what was expected. You're kind of like right in the middle. That's the average for a fairly skilled golfer still. But let's say that's the average. If you get par on a hole, that means you did okay. You didn't do bad. You didn't do great. But you were just right in the middle. If you get par in Neo Turf Masters, you lose a um, you lose a credit, so to speak. And each quarter is worth three holes. So let's say you get par it basically says, okay, you had three holes to play. Now you have two holes left to play. If you get under par, that's known as a birdie. So one under par is a birdie. That means if a given hole you expected to need to have four strokes or four shots in order to finish the hole, a birdie meant you would have gotten that in three. And if you did that in Neo Turf Masters, it would actually add a hole to your total or more effectively it wouldn't take away the hole that you would that you would lose or the credit that you would lose if you just got a par so basically if you kept getting birdies or you got even better scores like eagles which is two under par or an albatross which is three under par if you got those you could basically build up your hole counter almost indefinitely to the point that you could literally play the game on a single quarter now by the same token if you were not that great at the game and you shot over par, like you got a one over par, which would be a bogey or a two over, which is a double bogey, that would decrement the amount of credits you had available to you even more. So if you were not that great at the game, you were going to have to spend a lot of quarters in order to keep playing. So that's why I was saying if you actually got skilled at the game, if you actually got pretty good, you'd be able to play the game relatively cheaply and, and have a really good time and play for quite a long time uh, on just a single quarter. So the bottom line here is that the way they designed the game, this became the golf game to play if you were in an arcade in the mid-90s. This was an experience that transcended the game of golf. It wasn't just something that people who liked golf wanted to play. This was just a fun arcade game. People just wanted to play it. In the mid-90s, Neo Turf Masters, along with Metal Slug, were so good that SNK, those were the, that was the creator of the Neo Geo system itself, they purchased Nazca Corporation and made them a first-party developer for the system. Remember, these were the first two games that Nazca created when it became a company. They were so good that SNK purchased them and said, we want you to make titles exclusively for us. Neo Turf Masters by itself would go on to become a very popular title in the arcades and would eventually be ported to numerous other platforms, including a bunch of current platforms today, like the current gen Xbox and PlayStation consoles, as well as iOS. I do want to say something about the iOS version because it's both amazing and it also saddened me a little bit. So I have the iOS version and I, I played the iOS version to death because I absolutely love Neo Turf Masters. I think it's a great game. I don't believe that the iOS version is still available. So every time I go out into the app store, it's just not there. It's not available. So I have kept it downloaded on my iPad indefinitely. I will not delete the game. <laughs> I will never delete the game because I always want it. And I know that most likely if I deleted the game, I would still be able to download it because I have it in my purchase history and all that kind of stuff. I don't care. I never want to chance it. 
I don't want a chance losing the game. I It's just that good of a game that I want it to permanently grace my iPad. I just never want to lose it. I refuse. I absolutely refuse to delete or offload it in the off chance that I won't be able to get it back again. That's that's how that's how much I feel about Neo Turf Masters. It made the game of golf accessible to a broad population. And even those individuals, like we were saying, that don't like golf in the first place or didn't like golf in the first place, they probably liked Neo Turf Masters because it was just a good game. It kept all of the things that made golf golf, but it wrapped it in an arcade package that would appeal to the masses. And because it was created for the Neo Geo, people who had money to spare could actually go out and buy the cartridge for their home use, bringing that arcade experience home and bringing in one of the best golf experiences that had been released up to that point into their living room. We are now going to transition into more of the review portion of the discussion, and we're going to start by going, just having a little bit of an overview more so about the game of golf as it relates to just general golf, and then we'll start talking more about Neo Turf Masters, because I do think it's important for everybody to at least have a general understanding of what golf is, how you play golf, because it ultimately translates directly into the game, into Neo Turf Masters that we're going to be discussing. So, the game of golf, what does it involve? Basically, it involves, in the general sense, and I'm being fairly general here, you have to hit a ball into a hole. That is the goal of golf. Now, to do that, you have to, you can't just throw the ball in the hole, you have to use clubs, and each club is rated at a different potential distance. And the reason that it's rated at a potential different distance is because different clubs have different or are made of different materials, they have different degrees of loft that would affect the ball, and that's where you get clubs like your woods and your irons and then your wedges. They all have different characteristics that make them either able to hit the bar, hit the ball farther or shorter, hit the ball either higher or lower, and that combination along with the course conditions, the wind, the it, grass on the fairway or the general gradient of the green and the various grounds that will ultimately allow the ball to move in a certain way. And that's how you get from point A to point B. Every golf round or every golf hole starts in the tee box. You tee off, knock it down the course, and you keep trying to get it close to the green and into the hole. You want to try to do that in as few strokes as possible for each hole, because like we were talking about, the fewer strokes you have, the better your overall score. And you do have to take a bunch of things into account when you play golf. You need to take into account wind speed and weather and just overall hazards that are out on the course. There are a bunch of hazards that can be on a golf course. You have the rough, you have trees, rough being heavier or or higher grass areas. You have trees that you can knock the ball into that makes trying to get out of it not that fun. You also have sand traps where you can knock the ball into sand and that makes your shot that much more difficult. 
You also have water hazards where if you knock your ball into the water, you have to take a penalty stroke. So there are a lot of different hazards that play about in the game of golf. And all of these things were replicated in Neo Turf Masters. So they took the opportunity to take all of those complex rules of golf and distill it into a playable arcade kind of experience. So you had a full set of clubs that you could use and change how far you could potentially uh, hit your ball. Depending on where the ball was laying, different clubs would work differently because it's much more difficult to hit, say, a wood club out of the sand bunker or out of the bunker than it would be to hit a sand wedge because the sand wedge is designed to get under the ball and drive more aloft. The woods, generally speaking, are not. That was all simulated in the game, as were the physics associated with wind. Each of the courses in the game, you would have wind that could affect the trajectory of the ball when you hit it. And the higher you hit it, the more the wind has an effect on the ball. So all of this was simulated in the game, but it didn't feel like it was an overly complex simulated experience. Now, if I look at the game itself, stepping away from the general game of golf and talking more specifically about Neo Turf Masters, there are a number of ways that they kind of made the game much more of an arcade feeling kind of experience. And one of those ways was actually adding characters to the game. You have you have characters you can select from at the beginning of the game, which almost makes it feel like a fighting game to a degree. And I, I don't I mean, obviously there was no fighting in the game. Golf isn't that kind of sport. But when you first start the game, you get to pick your character and each character has different attributes. So one character might be able to hit the bar or hit the ball farther, but may not be as accurate. Or another character might be highly accurate, but they can't really hit the ball as far. And this would translate not just into the way the ball travels, but it would also translate into the controls of the game. So somebody who is more accurate when you get to the swing meter The swing meter would move slower, which meant that you had a better or a higher likelihood of hitting the meter in the sweet spot, which would make the ball either go farther or be more accurate. If you picked a golfer that was less accurate, more more likely than not, you were going to have a much faster meter where it would make it much more difficult to hit the meter or hit the ball where you wanted it to, which might meant might have meant the ball would be not going down the trajectory or the same path that you would ideally want it to do. It might go off to the side or it might not go as far as what you would want. So those characters, you would pick one of those characters and you would play the game over the course of an 18-hole course. And there were four different courses in the game and they were spread out. They had different geographic areas in the in the game. One was in America, one was in... Germany. I think there was one in Japan and there was another one in Australia, I believe. So I'm almost positive those were the four courses and they each had 18 holes. Each of them were where they had their own specific challenges and they all modeled proper physics and wind and the courses, a lot of them, especially on the greens, would have slopes and gradients where you had to pay attention to where the ball landed or how you hit the ball in order to make sure that you could actually knock the ball into the hole and not soar past or curve past the hole. So they had all those physics modeled in the game. And then every time that you would finish a hole, there would be a scorecard that would pop up on the screen. And a lot of times the competition, or at least when I would play the game, I would be playing against computer characters. So when you would see the scorecard, you would kind of see where you fall in the overall ranking 
for that particular 18-hole tournament. You could also play multiplayer as well. I don't think I ever played multiplayer in NeoTurf Masters, so I'm not sure exactly how that plays out. I'm assuming it's just a traditional kind of just skins kind of format or or something similar where you're just basically playing for strokes against another person. But when you play against the computer, there's a scorecard that appears after every hole and it tells you how did you do. Now, before we go start talking about the specific elements of the game, like graphics, sound, stuff like that, I do want to talk about what the back of the box says, because a lot of times back then, we really didn't have much to go on other than the box. Now, Neo Turf Masters is a little bit of a different, unique kind of situation, because Neo Turf Masters was first and foremost an arcade game. It did, however, have a home release on the Neo Geo AES, so... There is a box, not a ton of people have the box or had the box because like we were talking about earlier, it would have cost at least $200 back in the mid nineties to purchase, which with inflation today is a lot more, but we do have the back of the box here and we're going to read what it says in the event you were one of those fortunate few that decided to buy it for home use. So the box says, strive to take home the complete championship of four great tournaments Achieve the honorable Grand Slam victory. Two-player gameplay. Pick from six golfers, each with his own attributes. Master all four courses. 72 holes. I do want to mention something that I found interesting. The Grand Slam mode, the Grand Slam victory that was referenced on the back of the box, that was only available on the Neo Geo CD version of the game, not the cartridge version. So we haven't talked about the Neo Geo CD much, but the Neo Geo CD was kind of an evolution of the original Neo Geo AES system in that it was then a CD-based console, which had its own uh, positives and negatives that would go along with it. Load times were abysmally poor in comparison to the cartridges, but at the same time, you could hold a lot more space. In this particular example with Neo Turf Masters, the Neo Geo CD had a new game mode where you could actually play all four tournaments in sequence, and they called it the Grand Slam victory. Because in most sports, or in many sports like tennis or golf, a Grand Slam is when somebody wins all four major tournaments in a given year. Um, Or you could have the career Grand Slam, which spreads it out across a career. But in any event, I'm going down the rabbit hole into real sports. But I did just want to mention that the Neo Geo CD version was slightly different than the console-based version of Neo Turf Masters. So, we're going to start talking about the game from a few different perspectives. Just to refresh everybody's memory, we will look at its graphics, we'll look at the sound and music, we will look at the narrative and or story, which in this game, they're isn't one. It's a sports game. It's golf. So there's not really much of a narrative or story, but I do make some stuff up when I play these games. I'll talk to you guys a little bit about that. I'm probably a little weird, but I will talk about that. Then we'll also talk about playability and controls and then the overall feel of playing the game. So first we're going to start by talking about the graphics and these graphics, we talked before that they were not ultra realistic. They were more stylized. These are incredibly high quality. The, the, Pixel art at display here, the the quality of the overall graphics was just top notch. The motion, the animation of the entire game was superb. We talked before that this was a faster paced kind of game, and 
it translated directly into the way that Nazca had created all of the animations and just the way that they designed all of the graphics and the courses for the game. The ball flight, as you would hit it, was fast, and it felt arcadey, but it still felt right. It still felt like you were playing an amazing game of golf. I love the fact, too, that all of the characters and the sprites were gigantic. It felt larger than life, almost, and the detail that you would see on the sprites, uh, particularly on the character models, was amazing. I will say that the character models were kind of reskins of each other. They, I think they pretty much had the same body with some different colors and a different head structure. So there was a little bit of reuse there, but overall the characters looked great. The courses, which is often the highlight of any golf game, the courses were all highly detailed and they had all of the features and terrain that you would expect to see in any sort of golf game. It was incredibly detailed. The graphics were rich and vibrant. I also really enjoyed after each hole, you would get a full screen character image where it would basically depict how you played for that given hole. If you had a good shot, your character would be kind of like raising his arms, high-fiving, or just really happy and it looked awesome. If you had a bad shot, your character would let you know that too. And oftentimes they would take their club and they'd break it over their knee or they'd be just incredibly angry. And each of those images looked awesome. <laughs> they just... It created such a such a character to the game, not the characters in the game, but the game itself had a character. It just felt like this streamlined, refined version of the game of golf. Everything about golf is there and you can visually see it, but it didn't have all of the all of the things that sometimes bog down the game of golf. It was just it felt right. It looked it looked amazing to play. And it still looks amazing to play. This is one of those games, and this is one of the things where when a company focuses on stylized graphics versus ultra-realistic graphics, the graphics age much better. Style, stylistic graphics will always, for the most part, will always look okay. If you go for ultra-realism 20 years ago, ultra-realism 20 years ago, I got to tell you, does not look ultra-realistic today because technical graphics continue to evolve, continue to progress. In 20 years from today, the stuff that we thought looked amazing is going to look muddy and and non-detailed in comparison to what we'll get. Whereas stylized games or stylized graphics will continue to look good because all they're focusing on is the style. Anyway, enough with that tangent. The graphics of Neo Turf Masters, excellent. Still excellent today. Still excellent 30, almost 30 years later. It's it just, it looked right. Talking about the sound and the music, wow, this game was pure 90s arcade nostalgia. Each of the courses had their own specific theme song. The game itself had a theme song. Every single tune that was in the game, they were hummable tunes. I found myself humming the tunes as I would play the game and even after I would play the game because they just get in your head. And it is just, if anybody used to go to arcades, you know what I mean when I say it just was a perfect arcade soundtrack. You're not going to get fully orchestrated kind of music. This is not that kind of game. This is not that kind of experience. What you will get is highly proficient 
composed music with synthesized sounds and sampled sounds, but it just sounds right. This is like, if you could pick an arcade soundtrack and say, this is an example of what 90s arcades sounded like, you could pick this soundtrack. It's that darn good. It is just, it is highly representative of arcades of the time, and I absolutely love the music of the game. So switching to now talk about narrative and story, I mean, it's golf. It's not going to have much of a story. There have only been a couple of golf games in history that I'm aware of that have had a story, uh, one of which was actually interestingly titled Golf Story. Um, But most of the time, golf games don't have a story. This one didn't have a story either. Although, like I said earlier, sometimes I'm a little bit of a nerd. And I sometimes fabricate for myself a story where I'm going for the grand slam and I've got to get, got to beat all these tournaments and, and it's like a career kind of thing. And I make this stuff up in my head just to, just to kind of help myself along with the game. I don't know. Some, I guess you could say I'm probably a little, little weird, a little bit too much imagination sometimes, but occasionally I do that kind of thing. But the game itself, absolutely no story. It doesn't need it. It's golf. The one thing it does need, though, is strong controls and a strong control scheme. And the playability has to feel right, because ultimately that is really what you're going for when you're creating a golf game for especially for an arcade. And I got to tell you, this game felt so right to play. The controls were tight and amazing. The simplicity, the controls were incredibly simple to utilize. Like I said before, it was you pick power and you pick loft and that's it. And you can aim elsewhere. You aim before your shot, but really it comes down to just how hard are you going to hit it and how much loft are you going to put on the ball? Of course, you can pick which club and things like that, but those are kind of passive selections, meaning they're not going to have a bearing on the ability of you to hit the shot. There's only two meters that affect how you hit the shot. It was incredibly simple. It was still complex enough that you can tailor your shot however you want, but it really was, it made the game much more open to the general population to play. And I just thought it felt really good to play at the same time. The game has realistic physics or at least mostly realistic uh, physics. So it made for an accessible game, but one that wasn't ridiculously easy. Uh, We talked about the scoring around if you got a birdie, you were able to gain a hole back, which basically meant you didn't have to lose a credit. A bogey, you would lose additional holes. And pars, you would kind of just stay stay standard and lose just one hole out of the shot. At the end of the day, skill wins out. If, If you were skilled, you can get through the game without really having too much difficulty. If you weren't, you were gonna have some problems. And each of the courses, you had to learn each of the courses in order to do well. It wasn't like you could just sit down and breeze through the courses. Each hole, you kind of had to learn. You had to learn when to lay up and not try to drive over that big lake because if you did, you probably were going to fall in the water and lose a stroke. You had to learn it just like you would any other golf game, but it was still easy to pick up and go. And this was one of the earlier pick up and go golf games. Now, each of the courses had different layouts And the designs led to certain courses being more difficult than others. And you combine the the designs with the overall physics and the wind that could potentially knock your ball or or drift your ball off course. 
And even though the controls were simplistic, it still made for a game that was somewhat difficult to play and somewhat difficult to do or play successfully, I should say. But regardless, it was still much easier than most golf games of the time, and it was easy to play in an arcade kind of setting. I do want to talk a little bit about the characters. Like we had mentioned earlier, each character had different attributes, and uh, I had a favorite Remember I I said about the narrative and story, there really wasn't a story in the game, but sometimes I make stuff up. So I made a story all around my favorite character, Robert Landolt, who was basically his stats were he was the second from the top driver, meaning he was able to drive the bar pretty ball pretty darn well. He was incredibly precise, which made the meters move slowly. He was highly accurate. So I enjoyed playing that character. I thought that was just the right combination of skills. And that is the character that ultimately, when I replayed the game on the iOS version, like I was talking about, that was the character that I used to pretty much get every single achievement in the game. And let me tell you, some of those achievements were a little bit difficult on the iOS version. The one that was the hardest by far was trying to get an albatross, which is a three under par for a given hole, which basically means you either have to have a hole in one on a par four hole, which I don't even know if any of the par four holes in the game you could drive to the green. That to me feels like it's it's almost an impossibility. And then the other way would be to get a uh, two stroke, to finish a hole in two strokes on a par five hole, which is also incredibly difficult. And I remember when I finally got that, when I finally got the albatross and finished my final achievement in the iOS version, it was it was such a great feeling. Um, But we're not really talking about the iOS version. We're talking about the base version of the game. Regardless, the base version of Near Turf Masters just felt amazing to play. It was was an amazing experience. The controls were just perfect. The perfect kind of controls that you would want for a golf game. So the overall feel of the game, it didn't age at all. It is so rare. It is so rare to find a game where it was created 20 plus 30 years ago and you can play it today and it feels like a modern game it it, this game neo turf masters is not aged in my opinion in my personal opinion this game has not aged at all it feels like something you'd be able to buy in a store today it is as fun to play today via emulation as it was to play back then i unfortunately do not own a neo geo system it is one of my one of my holy grail systems because I always wanted the arcade experience at home. I never got it because it was so darn expensive. So I do want to eventually get a Neo Geo. So I don't have one. I played it via emulation, admittedly, but it just, it felt amazing. And like I was saying, the iOS version is probably, the iOS version may actually be the best version of the game now that I think about it. Because the touchscreen interface just translates so well to the control scheme in the game that it just makes it feel, it almost feels more tactile because, and I guess that makes sense because you're actually touching something with your hands, but it just translates so well. And the, the game it doesn't matter where you play it. it, doesn't matter if it's on the Neo Geo, if it's on emulation, if it's in an arcade, or if it's on iOS, it just hasn't aged. <laughs> it is such a rare thing and this game is just as good today as it was back then so where does this game sit in the overall tiers of classic games 
It may not be a surprise considering what I've said so far, but for me, this is absolutely in the pantheon of classic gaming. This is Neo Turf Masters is truly one of the best arcade golf games ever created. I'm going to go out and say it's one of the best golf games ever created. If you like golf, you should play this game. You will love it. If you don't like golf, you should play this game. You will probably love it. If you just like arcade games, you should play the game. You'll probably love it. This is the quintessential arcade game. You're able to pick it up and go. You can have a good time. If you get good at it, you could you could play forever with a single quarter. Like this is the perfect distillation of the arcade experience into a single game. It is absolutely one of the best, if not the best golf arcade game ever created, and it deserves its spot in the pantheon of classic gaming. That was our episode on Neo Turf Masters. I hope you all enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed creating the podcast. If you'd like to get in touch with me to provide feedback, to talk about Neo Turf Masters or any other game we've covered or any game we haven't covered so far, I do have a couple ways you can reach out to me. I am on social media on Twitter with the handle at Classic Gaming T. I also have an email address, classicgamingtoday at gmail.com. Feel free to reach out. Let me know what you think. Provide your feedback. If you want to see a specific game covered in a, in a future episode, let me know. If you have other opinions about things, let me know that too. I really enjoy talking gaming, and I would love to interact even more so with the community. Before we go, I do want to mention that our next episode is going to be a big one. Our next episode is going to be focused on the first-person shooter, Duke Nukem 3D. So feel free to write in and let me know what you think of the Duke. What, what, do, you, what do you feel about it? Do you love Duke Nukem 3D? Do you hate it? Do you, I can't imagine anybody would hate it, but tell me what you think. If you'd like your comments right on the show, send them in. I would love to hear what everybody is thinking around Duke Nukem 3D. At the same time, I recognize you're listening to this podcast on whatever podcast engine you like to use. I would love it if you left us a review on your podcast service of choice. I am not looking to bolster star counts. I'm not going to say, hey, everybody, give us a five-star review because, I mean, I would love that, but I really want to know what you think. I genuinely want to make this the best podcast it can possibly be. In order to do that, I need to know what we're doing right, what we can improve upon, and I'm really looking forward to hopefully you all sharing that feedback with me. We are still growing. We are still trying to develop the community around all of these games and around the podcast, so I'm legitimately interested in hearing what you all think. We will be back in around a week with Duke Nukem 3D. But until then, I hope you all remember, sometimes the games of the past are just as good, if not better, than the games of today. Goodbye, everyone. 